you could join us on G-Man's Addict Sessions on bootboyradio.net this Sunday afternoon, 1 till 3. And we'll like say we've got here every Sunday afternoon playing you classic punk and oi from 76 onwards. And we're mixing up every, every other week, back perhaps once a month, with just an interview, even one of the celebs or one of the personalities from the scene from way back and up to the current day as well. So hopefully you'll be able to join us on G-Man's Addict Sessions, 1 till 3 on a Sunday afternoon. And as, uh, hopefully that'll be repeated again in the week on a Tuesday, Wednesday, later on. So if you want to hear it again, you can always catch it up there or you can catch it up on mixcloud.com as well. So, And every week we'll be having a new track this year, starting in 2022. On the hour, we'll be having a new track from each band that has been sending some stuff into us anyway. And we're hoping we'll play something that you haven't heard before or you know something that's a bit new for you to enjoy anyway. So thank you very much for listening to G-Man's Abbott Sessions on Boot Boy Radio, Sunday 1 till 3 on bootboy.net. Glad you can listen to us and keep the faith. Bootboy Radio is sponsored by the Prince Regent, Regent Road, Great Yarmouth. Live entertainment seven days a week throughout the summer season and every weekend throughout the whole year. Great Yarmouth's premier live entertainment venue, the Prince Regent, Regent Road, Great Yarmouth. There you go, yeah, you've been listening to the start of G-Man's Avid Sessions this Sunday afternoon, Sunday the 18th of December. We're in quick for a quick chat because we ain't got many tracks before the interview start with Mr. Simon, Simon Laws and um, a few tracks after as well, so we ain't got much time because he's talked so much, you know what I mean? But he's got a lot of things to say anyway, so he's got, uh, you know, that's all his reflections and the man of many geysers and all his reflections and the words from when he was back in the era as well. Anyway, we're going to start off with a classic bang in this one. Let's 
into the Valley Classic skids there anyway. Like I say, ain't got much time before Mr. Simon Law starts his interview and chatting out, but he's got his top five going on there as well, some classic tracks on there as well. So, but always, we always got to play a Ruts track. This is the best. Scar and punk fans out there, this is Mickey Blue Eyes, lead singer of the Decatones. We hope to see you at some of our gigs throughout 2022. This is for G-Man's Avit Sessions on bootboyradio.net. Judge Dredd? Yes, that's right. Oh, I've always wanted to meet you. Oh, really? Why? Well, I'm a really big fan of yours. That's very nice of you to say that. Is it true? Is what true? What they say about Big Nine. Well, I think you'd better have a look for yourself. It's true. It's true. 
Hello, what do you take me for? Come on, don't be shy. Boots were killing me. Here, look at this. Oh my God! I don't believe it. Oh come on, touch it. You must be bloody joking. You're not even a proper woman. You're a geezer dressed up. You're one of those uh, trans, uh, what they call them, transvestites. Oh come on, dear. This is 1975. I don't know. Every time I come out, every bloody time, it always ends up in sillies. Come home and give me love, please. I'll tell you what, I'll give you bloody love. I'll give you the rough end of a pineapple. Go on! F*** off! <laughs> you nasty man, you... Oi! What? Take your sodding handbag with you! <laughs> I'm not gonna buy any more of your What can I say? A classic Jatame there, Judge Dredd from 75, you know. That's old school, isn't it? What can I say? And um, we always have it after Mick Dett's home jingle. And I say, this is going out on Sunday, the 18th of December, and that'll be the night art we play with the Decatones down in the music room in Ipswich. So I'll have to catch up with you and let you know all about that in the, in the new year because obviously we're recording this on the, a couple of days before. So I hope you enjoyed that. Anyway, a little bit different. We've got many tracks to play. We've got to crack on. Oi, oi, join me, Kev, frontman of Condemned 84, a live interview on G-Man's Avid Sessions on bootboyradio.net on Sunday. One, two, three, keep the faith.
little bit of classic. Cool, that lead is going to get dodgy. I'm going to hope I one for Christmas. You know what I mean? Hope you can hear that okay. Anyway, it's a bit buzzy. I say classic Condemned 84 from 1987 there. Off in search of a new breed album. You know what I mean? Classic with not the late Noel Core on drums and uh, Mick Brummett on guitar and myself on bass and uh, my brother singing away as usual anyway. So next up, you've got a little bit of Simon Law. So enjoy his top five and uh, hope you enjoy what he's got to say as well about and uh, his reflections on the era from 76 onwards. Enjoy this. Cheers. So good afternoon to all you listening, G-Man's Abbott World and um, BootBoyRadio.net. We're lucky to be having a bit of time and listen to the reflections and the words of a man of many geysers. <laughs> and we've already had a bit of a chat with him. And he's Simon Laws from down in Brighton. Um, he's like a, well, what can I say, band manager, band manager. He's a promoter. He's got, a, you know, he does roadie and driving. You know what I mean? He's got a few sort of like um, websites going about as well. And obviously, you know, down in Brighton, He's got his skinhead reunion going on down there as well. So uh, he's going to have a few words with us today. And glad you can catch us on G-Man's Avid Sessions on www.bootboyradio.net. One, two, three, and this Sunday afternoon. So how are you keeping it, Simon? All right, then, fella? Yeah, all right, mate. Yeah, yeah. My name is actually pronounced Simon with a D. And I'll tell you why. Because my dad sung in a church choir when he was a kid. <laughs> and it was an old 13th century church. Yeah. And there was a plaque on the wall. And that's and the name was on there. And I hated it when I was a kid. I wanted to be called John or something normal. Yeah, but yeah. as I've grown older, it's quite nice because it's the only person in the world with a name spelt like that. Yeah, Simon. So yeah, obviously Simon, everyone yeah. knows me as Simon. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> everyone knows me as Simon because they read that on the internet. But yeah, anyway, no, it's not a big deal. Just like i tell you that one. Yeah, that's superb, mate. That's superb, Simon. No problem, mate. Anyway, so we got also we're going to have your, your fave five tracks from the year a bit later on as we go into it but um i'm going to say so uh, we're just sort of like um having a chat what you've been uh, you got anything on this weekend at all at the moment obviously this is going to go out uh, end of september uh, december sorry 18th of december we're out on this one so hopefully uh, we got anything on this weekend we're recording a couple of weeks before um, obviously yeah, well, the next thing I've got, and I've got a little, um, a little pub gig um, on the 17th of December. So obviously that'll be a day before this goes out, unfortunately. Yeah, yeah, cool. But that's it's called just called the Scar Boozer, and basically it's just a pub, um, which is our B stage for the Skinhead reunion. And uh, a couple of years ago, when the lockdown came in, um, the main venue, the Volks, pulled the event, and but the pub said, "Oh, well, why don't you just do do something up here?" So we did, and it went really well. It's just DJs, and we we have a singer usually comes in different different singers, um, and so I've got that in December. But that's just a small thing for about 150 people or something. But yeah, that's my next thing. Oh, that's cool, man. Well, not personal. You got a couple yeah. of weekends break, then, mate. Cut the weekends break before that. Yeah. Right? Cool, yeah, I've been really busy. Been really busy because um, I've been doing. I, I mean, I'm tour. I'm a tour manager sort of a lot of the time. So all, all through last year, well, this year I was doing a lot of country acts from America that were signed up with um, Sony and um, Universal and stuff like that. And I got that through my son because he's a stage manager for Fifty Cent. So he's been passing me work down, which is really good because you know he's, I used to pass him the work. Keep it in the family. Yeah, well, he was, <laughs> He, he he was Laws's son, and now I'm Jack's dad <laughs> in the in the industry, which is quite funny. Yeah, so I've been doing all that, and then all last year I was doing Bad Manners, um, and so this year yeah. I I do the test do the test tubes quite often. Yeah. Um, I uh, Bad Manners have asked me to do Christmas, but whether that will come or not, I don't know because I've got other stuff on, so I can't do the full tour. So I can only do a few bits and bobs here and there of it. So I may yeah. or may not be on the. Bad Manners tour. Um, I've just done the Tim. Like, like, just done Sham. Yeah, 
Yeah, well, what I did, I just did Sham over in Europe, but it's Tim V version of yeah, um, yeah. of Sham. What happened was, is uh, years ago, they uh, Dave Parsons fell out with Jimmy Percy, and, and he they they auditioned a new new singer, and Tim V got the job. They they did really well, and then Dave sort of went back with Jimmy, and so there's now two Sham 69s. But you know, there's I mean, lovely, like, there's a Tim lot of cover Martin, bands. Yeah. Out, there's a lot of cover bands out there, and the Europeans like it. The gigs were all sold out, and you know, everyone had a great time. And he's a really nice guy, Tim. Yeah, the yeah. band are really lovely guys so I, I had a really nice time we went all around we even played a concentration camp can you believe that just on the outskirts of berlin and on the on the polish border yeah sure. that was nuts yeah honest, i'm gonna say you know, i had, had tim on the interview and a little while back like you know what i mean and he's always the same guy you know he, he, he's, he's all yeah. about honesty and all that stuff do you know what i mean and i, I think he's a great yeah man. yeah it's a shame he's Millwall. yeah <laughs> <laughs> oh, he likes this meal. Yeah, that yeah. does make me laugh. Yeah, yeah. but so, you know, um, I've always, I've always back gone. So really, just getting through, like the obviously we're looking from the '76 to '77 era onwards. And so, what were your thoughts, and what do you think of the original start of the era? Then, so just to get through thoughts, and uh, you know, what do you think? What do you think as we run into the first track? What do you think is sort of like, um, you know, what did you think of it originally when you heard it all crack? You know, start the kick off or whatever with all the sounds and that. Well, for me, it was a really, it was a life-changing thing, really. Well, I was lucky because in my town, I grew up in a town called High Wycombe, which is on the west of, west of London, and we had a guy called Ron Watts who lived there, and Ron was the promoter of the 100 Club, so he did the very first ever punk festival at the 100 Club with the Pistols and all that. He also yeah. organised the Sex Pistols boat, boat trip, you know, the God Save the Queen boat trip, really? he organised yeah. that. So all those early punk bands used to play in Wycombe. So me as a kid, I was only like, what, 11 in 76 when, that, when it all broke, yeah. and so, you know, I was a bit too young. I was a bit too young to be going to the gigs, but I remember all the punks in town and, and this excitement on a Saturday of, uh, of, the, of the punks, and I was just so sort of like in awe of it all, you know. Yeah, um, and and we, had, we, we had a band in town called um, The Extroverts, and they were, they used to play at the Roxy and, and places like that. They were really sort of one of the main sort of punk, punk bands of the era, the real underground punk bands, but Nigel, the singer, uh, he, he, he stabbed a mod. There used to be a lot of rivalry between the skins and punks and mods and all that back then. He stabbed the mod and got banged up in jail. Mm. So that was the end of the extrovert. So he missed, he missed the, the sort of like, you know, he missed it when the clash of them exploded. Yeah, yeah. But me, me as a kid, I just loved it all. And so it was, I was sort of a little bit young, but, but by 78, I was coming of age. And that's when I sort of got my hair cut and, and got really into it, you know. But that was my first impression, was just being part of this 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 movement of this whole revolution that was going on, you know. Yeah, it was very, it was amazing. Good, really. good, yeah. good scene in numbers around there as well, Simon, was it? Good scene, oh, yeah, yeah. Oh, mass, massive, massive numbers. Yeah, what I mean, the thing is, it's one of those things that's, that's sort of dropped off the map yeah. because you know, the media, as you well know, the media will always concentrate on just sort of like Chelsea when it comes to the skinheads, it's all like. Um, you know, fucking last resort, uh, and that's and they think that's all that ever happened. Well, it didn't. You know, it, there was massive stuff going on in our area. It was a big London overspill town, so we had these massive <laughs> um, uh, council estates. So everybody came who lived there. My family were North London, and there was lots of Irish, Polish, West Indian. There was all sorts down there. So we had a we had a massive punk scene, reggae scene. It was it was huge. Yeah, Super a lot bigger massive. than London in a lot of ways, to be honest. Yeah. yeah good main. What was the main venue in Wickham at the time? Then would you say? Well. 
well, we had the, we had there was a, there was there was a few small ones. There was the um there was the uh, oh god, what was it called? Um, oh, I can't remember the name of it. But the biggest one the biggest one was a town hall. That was massive. The last gig to happen there was when um, Adam and the Ants played in 1980. They came down, and that's when they were still a punk band. Yeah. And there was a complete riot because there was a lot of skinheads in there, all the Wickham skins. The older lot to me, they were fucking they were nutters. Uh, most of them, and um, they were sort of like causing aggro and um. Adam did the most stupid thing in the world. <laughs> he started chanting "Ants kill skins" off the stage, and that was it. A riot broke out. And he got a he got a bike chain around the side of the head, and um, yeah, and the whole place just went up. The whole place got smashed up. So, and it was right next to the police station. So that was the end of our of our last big gigs. We had the White Horse. We had um, yeah, there was there was lots of there was lots of sort of small pubs around that did it. Because in those days, punk wasn't big. It wasn't like now, you know, where they have you know Coxbower play at the um roundhouse whatever punk was all like little pubs it was pub rock and then punk rock and it was it was small it was never big that's why with the skinhead reunion i keep it to the size it is i don't want it to be a big rock star thing with backstage yeah. passes and then americans flown in from yeah, la with you know dancing girls yeah. and all that it's not what punk's yeah. about and that's yeah. why i work in music you know if i wanted to do some sort of corporate event i'd put on i don't know yeah. shalimar or something do you know what i mean yeah. I, I do what i do because i like the culture and the, and, the, and the whole community that it yeah. that it's about and that's to me what punk stayed in my veins forever you know i was always a skinhead but punk is my thing that's my real vein that's my my energy you know yeah. to be honest i'm gonna say it's good with the bigger venues like you're saying and that and the red valley and stuff i think it is too corporate you know what i mean it is it costs a lot of money for people to do it and some people are only do that once a year whereas you want the live music and the live local scene to keep alive you've got to go to little venues and keep it buzzing do you know what i mean i think as well well, it's, it's, well of course yeah. yeah, of course you have. I mean, with the Skinhead reunion, that's what I've always done. Yeah. That's why you won't you won't see these big named headliners that play at every single gig. Yeah. Partly because they're out, they outprice themselves. You know, yeah. they say, you know, well, it's five grand. They go, well, it's three hundred people there in a pub, yeah. and you want five grand. Oh, yeah, well, that's what we charge. That's what we charge for festivals. It's like, well, yeah. you can't play then, can you? Yeah. <laughs> Do you know what I mean? Yeah. And I and I always try and find young bands and new bands. You know, I, I, I've, I it's quite very difficult finding British new yeah. British bands because they don't. Really Really want to be involved in the word skinhead a lot of even mm. even bands that have made their living out of skinheads I, I won't name any of them but even bands that have made their living out of skinheads will not play a skinhead named event they'll play a punk named event but not a skinhead one right and i know it for fact they're people i know they're friends of mine but they just will not have it because because it, it's still got this this um you know we're still tired yeah. tired with all the the stigma and the politics and all that you know yeah, course, yeah. so i've always that's why I, that's why i book you know i mean this year we've got japanese bands we've got jamaicans we've got young old we you know i, I like to dig up you know we've got a band called the scados this year who are playing they haven't played since the, since the 80s and yeah. um, we've got another one called criminal damage who were an oi band from 82 that they're, they're reforming for it you know so I, I dig up some of the old bands as well the extra reform for it um I've had quite a few bands, Egypts, they reformed for it back in the day, uh, a few years ago. Um, uh, Vicious Rumours came over, again, they reformed for it. So, you know, I do try and dig up the old bands as well as the new. Yeah. And, and that's, to me, what it's all about, is trying to make it a, a world... Because I, I travel a lot around the world, and I love going to the sort of skinhead communities around the world, down in Colombia and... Um, you know, Germany and places like that. And I love the fact they're younger and they're so all into it and fascinated by it all. And so I, it's for them, really, as well as us oldies to go out and meet each other once a year. So it's, um, yeah, that's what I do it for. It's that whole essence, really, you know? Okay, yeah, to be honest, I'm going to say, 
what surprised me, you know, you're saying about the bands, they'll take the money and run, like, sort of thing, and, um, you know, but then they'll say, oh, we don't want to play to sort of boneheads and all this stuff, but they'll take the money because they know yeah. it's good money going over the bar and that, you know what I mean? And they're going to get fill the places, which is, you know, and sometimes, you know, that they say originally, oh, they didn't want them sort of people in their audiences, but they got them there, you know, which is a bit sad, really. I think, uh, you know, there's a bit of hypocrisy there, you know what I mean? Expensive gigs oh, as well. Especially with the cost of oh. living, it's expensive, you know, to go to these gigs, and people find it hard. Oh, of course, yeah. And um, so yeah. anyway, on that point, then, well, mate, we'll, we'll get to the first track. You'd like to introduce your first track? You were saying about um, how the extroverts sort of really influenced you back in the day, then, yeah? Yeah, well, extroverts, they were our, they were our band, you know, they were playing with um, The Clash and all them type of bands at the time, and uh, and they were, they were the local band, and they had, a, they, had a, they had some really good songs, Speed and stuff like that, but the one that really sums it up to me is a song called Blank Generation, which really is about about the, the our generation of what was being made, this was what was happening, you know, it's a great track. So, Pab, you want to introduce it, mate? There you go, the space is yours, go for it. Yeah, so uh, this is the extroverts, Blank Generation, um, from about 77, 78, and these were our local punk legends.
So welcome back to G-Man's Avid Sessions this Sunday afternoon on www.bootboyradio.net. One till three this Sunday. And I'll, you're catching us in, in, in the month of December because we're speaking to Mr. Simon Laws from Brighton. Um, you can call him what he wants. He said he don't mind a Simmond or Simon or whatever. And uh, a man, like I say, of many geysers. He's got his reflections and words going on in the ear. We've already spoke about where he sort of started up in High Wickham. And um, well, he's, he's, he's well involved in the music scene, like I say. And... Um, we, was it, we just had his first track, The Extroverts, from around his way as well. So so you're back on air then, Simon, anyway. So I'm going to say, thinking about um, you know, all the, the punk ideology and all that stuff, was that sort of really... Uh, and you said about Ron, Watt, Ron Watson or whatever down there. Like, um, I'm going to say, was there a sort of... A really sort of... What did you think? Oh, did you like the ethos of it all? Or what, how did you think about it as you started sort of going and getting your hair cut, etc.? Well, the, the ethos of punk was what it was all about to me. It wasn't about fashion. Um, and that's where I think punk went wrong, really, was when it became, you know, 1982 and it all became Mohicans and, you know, uniform and that. But the early punk was all about um, self-rule, you know, anarchy, um, self-belief. You know, you can do anything. It was like, you know, the, the, the punk bands were known they could only do two chords and get on a stage. And we were going we were going to follow bands all over the place. Didn't know who they were. Didn't care who they were. And people always say to me now, oh, did you see this band? Did you see that band? And I said, I ain't got a clue. I mean, I remember vaguely going to Skunks. I remember mm. being at this place and that place. But back then, it really wasn't about that. It wasn't about, oh, I saw this amazing band and bought a T-shirt. It was, we were at, we were part of this revolution that was happening, yeah. you know, and it, and it was, we were questioning the state. It was about, you know, yeah. self-rule and, you know, smash a system and all that. Yeah. And we really believed we were going to do something. We were going to change the world, you know. And this was, this was the late 70s. So you've got to think, you know, the IRA, the UVF were going on in Northern Ireland. You had the CND, you had like the National Front, you had, you had chaos and revolution about to happen on the streets, you know, yeah. you know, we had Bob Marley and the Rastas and, you know, there was all sorts going on. And we, and we as kids were part of this, you could just feel it in the air. And punk was a, was a representation. And I think that's where over the years it's gone a little bit wrong um, I mean I quite often see you know this band oh we can't see that band because they're this and we can't see that band because they're yeah. that it's like well you've <laughs> got to go back 30, 40 years and you've got to realise that this band are singing what they believe at that time yeah. so and they're questioning the system so we were going I mean I remember well going to see like Billy Bragg one weekend and then seeing Combat 84 the next weekend yeah, you know yeah, I remember seeing that, yeah. you know the rejects and I remember seeing him for Riot you know yeah, yeah. they were yeah. West Ham and they were um, Tottenham, you know. Yeah. I remember going to see, um, you know, Smiley Culture at the same time, who, 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 was, who was reggae, you know. Yeah. I, I went to all of it. I remember seeing The Clash and, and Run DMC at Brixton. I remember seeing The Damned and um, The Ramones and all these bands. And it was all part of, it was all part, and you had a choice. You'd go yeah. to anything you wanted exactly. to do and, and take your your choice. And, and these bands would sing about a subject yeah, it's a, it's and then you go and study it. Yeah, and you go, well, what's that all about then, you know? Yeah. You know? It's a shame that people are sort of trying to segregate the whole thing down now. I know it's like 20, 30, 40 years onwards and that, you know what I mean? Yeah. Uh, I used to go and see like Madness and the next minute I was going to sort yeah. of say Combat 84 or whatever and you were going to yeah, yeah. see the Addicts here and next week you were going to see The Clash, yeah. you know what I mean? It's, it's yeah, a, it's exactly. A, you just went there to be part of the scene, didn't you? I know where you're coming from but now they're sort of talking about you can't wear a t-shirt in here, you can't wear a t-shirt in there, you know, it's it's freedom of speech oh, back now. It's, it, we were it's just, it, mental, it's, mental. It's that, 
it's it's actually become the complete polar opposite of yeah, what it exactly. began as, and yeah. and I can almost I can almost remember the day it happened. Yeah. I can remember being at the at the, um, at the George Pub in in Hammersmith, right? Yeah, yeah. And it was a skinhead night. We we put on this night, and it was it was a sort of like scar sort of scooter night type thing, and we put it on. Yeah. And um, it was it was in nineteen I think eighty six eighty seven, and it was when the whole blood and honor thing first started. Yeah. And we we put this yeah. night on, and we basically said. As I've always said, with all my gigs over the like de- decades, we'll hang on a hook and we'll pick it up on the way out. No, you fucking won't. We yeah. don't want any of it, right? Yeah, yeah. We're about the subculture. We're about punk rock. We're about skinheads. We're about fashion and culture and freedom of expression and all that sort of stuff. Anyway, they um, they'd fallen out with their previous record labels and all that, and they were setting up their own thing and all that. Anyway, they all showed up, and there was a geezer called Mad Jock who, who was a was a nutter. He used to hang around like he was like a he was like a fagans, like they were muggers. They used to mug all the sort tourist skinheads and all that anyway we were we were running this thing and the mad jocks mob turned up and we thought oh shit there we are you know we were all thinking how we're going to deal with this because they were nutters they were proper you know real horrible nasty you know yeah, I used to run Rem Boys, and they were horrible, nasty people. Um, anyway, the next thing, Nicky Crane and all his mob turned up, and Nicky beat, um, gave, gave Jock a good eye and kicked him out around the street. And we were quite glad about that because we got rid of him out of the two. You know, Nicky was always, you know, uh, he, he was okay. In my, you know, I mean, I know he was sort of involved. He was gay and all the rest of it, but you know, he was he was always decent. You know, he, he used to be a bit of a doorman and all that. Yeah. But anyway. He'd done that, and so that sort of calmed things down a little bit. And then the next thing I saw, these two Italian punks walk by, and this skinhead bloke came running out from behind us and stabbed these two punks in the street for no reason at all, just to impress everybody that was standing there. And I just sort of... I mean, we were all, like, in shock, and what is going on, you know? And that was when it changed. That was when I I thought, no, this is going wrong here, because this is when it became punks were left-wing, skinheads were right-wing. Well, no, we weren't. We were all part of this subculture, and we all... We were all into our thing, you know. And yeah, there were some people they'd bought a magazine. And, oh yeah, I'm this, I'm that. Well, yeah, you are right. And then a week later, they'd be into something else, you know. They'd be watching the Smiths or something, you know. Yeah. It was all we were all being manipulated. We were teenage kids from violent, aggressive, angry backgrounds, you know. So yeah. we were very easy manipulated. And and you get a lot of these sort of tourist skins would come into London, and they'd be so desperately wanting to be part of something, and they just got manipulated. And and I saw it. Easy, I mean, I was only like what early twenties then, late teens, whatever. I was, you know, and um, and I saw it, and I just thought, nah, this is not for me, you know. So I've always um, I've always tried to sort of steer it as much as I can. I'm hated for that because I disagree with some of these people, so they absolutely hate me for it. But I try yeah. to put my experience, my life experience, into it to try and bring something positive out of the whole thing, you know. Yeah, definitely, and also that you could see the change in the society then around that sort of time as well. Do you know what I mean? Because obviously, like, yeah, with absolutely, factor, with factor and that, you know, and all that stuff going on and. Oh. The way it was going with the trade yeah. unions and everything, how the country was unemployed. You know, I was I was doing an apprenticeship at the time. You know what I mean? But yeah, I still yeah. Still money, but you, you know, it was just the way the society was going, wasn't it? You know what I mean? And I got yeah. And to be honest, everybody wanted something what else everybody else had. You know what I mean as well? And I think that's a yeah. bit, that's a bit of a. You know, it seemed like everyone wants the back doors used to be open. I always, my mum and dad used to say the back doors always used to be open. You could walk around next door uh, and have a cup of tea. 
there's always been a lot of fear mongering I mean whenever whenever you look back on on all the, all the different decades and times you know there's always been this fear mongering oh they're all going to come over and this is going to happen and that's going to happen they're still doing it now you know and they did it then and I mean you know we um, you know I mean one of the biggest things we had back in then was was the, was the sus laws you know that yeah. our, our main enemy was the system and the police yeah, you know course, yeah. and I remember I mean I got my front tooth knocked out by the coppers and they would they would come along and like because I mean I remember doing a survey in my school because I, I, it was a lot of uh, West Indians in my area and I remember um, the, the sus laws and, and the 1981 riots and I got nicked in those that was the first riot I ever got nicked in was 81 yeah. and, um, and we and at school we were um we were marched in front of the headmaster and all that, and I got a right, you know, because me and my, me and one other mate, we'd spent the weekend in the cells, and like everyone, we were heroes amongst all our mates, but hated by the teachers and stuff. But it was all about the sus laws and and the, the foreskin song, "Wonderful World," which I've asked for on this Brilliant. thing. Is all about that. Is all about that, you know. And this was our enemy, you know. And what they were doing is they were manipulating the working classes, and they were yes. getting us against each other yes. so they could destroy it. And they broke. I mean, you look at all the northern towns, all the shipbuilding and the steelworks, and the. In my town, at the football, it was um chair factories. There were ninety of them. They closed them all down. So we were all unemployed. And um, but it, it wasn't all negative because I don't think without that unemployment and that sort of complete breakdown of society, punk would even exist no, because we were all in squats and we were just we would do it. We'd being creative out of what we had, you know, whether that be getting a few old clothes from a junk shop and modifying them or, or, or nicking a guitar and writing a song. You know, yeah, yeah, it, yeah. it was all part of that whole punk thing. And it was because of that. If we were all busy working and lots of money, we probably wouldn't have been, you know, hanging about street corners and, and creating punk rock. So that was the positive we got out of that time. Superb, mate. Superb. All right, mate. Well, look, we'll go into your second track at that point, and you've had a breath. <laughs> yeah. Okay. Well, if yeah. you want to, like, to introduce your second track, which, you know, what you were speaking about earlier, that'd be brilliant, mate. Go for that. Yeah, let's go for um, let's go for Wonderful World by the Foreskins because this song really, I mean, you got to think that up until this point, skinheads would never would never. I mean, the only time you ever got a mention was a negative thing in the in the newspapers about mugging old ladies or glue sniffing or being arrested for this or that or football hooliganism or whatever. But <clears throat> I remember when the Oi albums first came out. And I was absolutely overwhelmed the fact that there were skinheads actually on the cover of an album. You know, I remember yeah. finding it in a, in a shop in Wickham. And um, there was a band that stood out really was Foreskins because they wrote <coughs> Chaos and uh, Sorry and 1984 and all these songs. But the one really that sums up that time of police oppression that we were really up against every single day of our life was um, Wonderful World. And it's about the sus laws. I'm 
know, which it always does, you know. <laughs> we'll come back on 27 minutes then, just give us a couple of seconds, I'll write that cool. down, and we're in. All right. All right, yeah. Yeah. 10 seconds, mate. So we're back after our second track for Mr. Simon Laws and from Brighton. And like I say, brilliant, wonderful world by the foreskins anyway. You're listening to the G-Man's Avid Sessions on bootboyradio.net, Sunday 1 to 3. Mr. Jeff Longbar and all his Scar Trojan Rocker Steady, all these mobs are all on here as well if you want to catch them as well. We're doing our little bit of punk skinhead interview with Mr. Simon Laws from Brighton. And he's already been speaking about how society's changing in around the 84, 86, even though he's been arrested now and then, you know what I mean, we all live in it, but there he is, we're still talking about how it was, how it was in back in the day, and uh, just, uh, it was on his second track, which is brilliant, and um, I'm going to say, looking at, looking a little bit at how society's changed and that, you know, when you when you first started sort of getting into into the the, the bands and the scene and that, whatever, and live scene and that, Simon, what did, um, I'm going to say, how did you get into that sort of, sort of area, of, uh, sort of the, you know, of work as such. Do you know what I mean? Just speaking about that, what you've. Well, I, I mean, work-wise, work basically, I was an actor when I when I was at school. I was I was always in trouble. I, I held the record for the school caning. Funny, <laughs> that was my pride uh, claim uh, school. So I was constantly always in trouble. I was always I was I was not a fighter. I was not a, I was not a violent um, bully or anything like that. But I used to just wind the teachers up crazy. And if there was a fire alarm going off, that was me that had done it. If there was chaos going on, that was me involved. You know, so they hate you. They used to cane me to bug me. But the only thing they allowed me to do was the art class and the drama class because I enjoyed those and I didn't mess around too much. So basically, the drama block was where we all hung out because it it basically didn't have to do anything. You had to just make plays and stuff, and it was really good fun. And then we'd do like, you know, the the school plays and everything. And I loved it. So when I left school, I. When I left school, I got a job as a building labourer. I was I was a bricklaying uh, apprentice, and we were working around his house. And the guy who owned the house was a, was a photographer's agent, and we were messing about on the roof. And um, he said, "Oh, what, what would you really like to do?" I said, oh, "I'd love to be an actor. I'd be a right good fun, wouldn't it?" You know. And he said, "Oh, as it happens, I've got a friend who's got an agency, and they were called Bother Boots in East London in Leytonstone." Oh, yes, so anyway, he so so he he set up this interview for us to go down. Me and my mate Gavin, and we went down there, and his his his, his little brother Neville, we went to this this um, uh, agency and they literally within a week gave, gave us a job and, and my first job was a, was a singer called Anne Pigal she was this French singer who was being produced by Trevor Horn at the time yeah, who did um, Frankie yeah, Goes to Hollywood yeah, and all yeah, that yeah. Yeah. And, w- and we did th- we did this video at um, Raymond's Review Bar now you got to think I was only 50 quid a week on a um, building site yeah. you know digging holes and, and lugging bricks about all day long and I got paid 50 quid for, for going in this this strip club Raymond's Review Bar in Soho watching these beautiful girls take their clothes off and sing a song out uh, and I thought this is, what I want. This, is, <laughs> this is what I want to do for a living you yeah, know what I mean yeah. so and then, and then for, I think it was because of the character it was a time or whatever but we just got loads and loads of work and I mean the agent loved us and we were just doing like constant work and I mean I did loads of them films and yeah. you know played all sorts of villains all that early Channel 4 stuff all the you know I mean I actually look back on myself and I think actually I was probably part of the problem you know all this sort of media th- obsession with um, skinheads, all those programs and things they made. Well, I was in a lot of them, so I suppose I'm part, partly responsible for it already, but at the time we just took the money and had a laugh, you know, never took it too seriously. But um, oh, at the time, at the time, a lot of my mates were, were in bands, but they weren't any, earning any money, you know, they were just, like I said, it was all little punk gigs at local pubs and little venues all over, you know, places like the Adlib and Skunks and yeah. all the all the venues.
venues up Camden, you know, Dublin Castle, them sort of places. And no one got paid nothing. You know, everyone was sort of either on the dole or doing building labouring work and all that. But I was actually getting paid to be an actor. Mm. So at the, the weekends, I was getting nicked for being a skinhead. In the week, I was getting paid for being a skinhead. So, oh, yes. so it was great for me, you know. Yes. So yeah. I did that for years. But, but I always helped my mates out. You know, all those bands. I, always, I had a bit, you know, I, I was earning a little bit of money. I had a car. Very few of my mates did. So they would all get in my car and we'd go off to a gig and I would help, you know, as much as I possibly could with anybody that was, and I'm still the same, you know, I'm, I'm still the same, you know, if a, if a young kid comes up to me and goes, I want to be a guitarist, I'll go, well, I'll get you a guitar, I'll go and play. My boys are both doing really well in the music industry because of that and a lot of their friends because I've always loved encouragement and I've always wanted to keep it alive and keep give those kids something, you know. Yeah, yeah, My mate Gavin was a great photographer and he was very, um, he had severe dyslexia and he, he put it into photography and he's now like a world-renowned photographer of, of taking pictures of us growing up on a council estate, you know. A lot of my mates, I mean, most of them never became famous or became highly successful or, or, or names, but they were all part, they've all made a life out of it. And so even to this day now, I go out and help the test tubes out. You know, I mean, they're only a punk band. They, they're, they're more successful than a lot of them, but they don't, they don't earn a lot of money, so I don't do yeah. it for, for wages. I mean, it's... um. I could earn more money in Tesco's, but I do it because I, I love to encourage and help and join in and all those young bands I pick up and manage and stuff like that, you know, I end up spending a fortune on them. None of them, many of them realise the work involved, so they've, you know, I've had some quite bad, bad experiences with that, but it doesn't, you know, it keeps me going. I, I, you know, I put, when, when I go and earn some money, I think, well, I've earned a bit of money here, well, well I'll help that one out, you know, and that's yeah. what I've always done to, I'm a lunatic, I, I, you know, I should never have bothered doing it, I should have looked after myself, but, well, it's nice you know, to be, like, say you want to be involved in it, you know what I mean? You get involved in the scene, you're yeah. involved in it. You know, to be honest, that's the same with myself, you know, I put on shows and that, and sometimes you're losing yeah. a couple hundred quid here and there, and sometimes you break even. Yeah. That seems to be the, yeah, exactly. the great reality of yeah, it. Yeah, exactly. Know? How did you get in with the yeah, mean, exactly. how did you get in with the mean fiddler and all that stuff in? Because you do you used to do outside festivals as well. Did that build on from there? Yeah, I did. Or, yeah, well, that, again, that was another that was another mad experience. I was out travelling in India. I'd had a, I'd had a, so a lot of personal problems and broke up with my kid's wife, my kid's mother, and all that sort of stuff. And then I just my mate said, "Oh, he wants to go travelling." So, so I said, "Why? Well, I'm coming." So we went to India, and we're sitting on a beach in India, being all chilled out hippies and and just relaxing and getting our heads together and all that. And the girl that was with us, my mate's girlfriend, worked for the Mean Fiddler. She was a production manager for them. And uh, I said, oh, get me some work at a festival. I'd love to do that. Sounds like a right good crack. Yeah, yeah. And then, <laughs> you know, uh, yeah, literally a few months later, she called me and said, oh, we're, we're doing a new festival in Leeds. Do you want to um, work on the festival? I said, yeah, all right. So I go up there. They put me in a van and they said, right, go shopping. I went out into this traffic jam in, <laughs> in Leeds and I said, no way, I might be in a shopper. So I went back and I said, no, I'm not doing that. Is there any other jobs? And there was this big pile of tables and chairs you've never seen, massive pile of them. I said, where are they all going? Oh, they've got to go in all these um, like porter cabins all around site. So I said, right, I'll do that. So I got this little golf buggy, grabbed one of the mates off the crew and said, right, that's what we're going to do. So we spent the whole like, next three days just driving around these beautiful fields in Leeds, putting out these tables and chairs. And the boss, um, the boss who owned the, uh, who owned the Mean Fiddler came back and these tables and chairs, no one wanted to do the job and they were literally leaning against the production office. And he said, oh, where's all the tables and chairs? Oh, this bloke, Lawsy, yeah, he's, he's done all that. And he went, oh, great, did he? Great, that's your job then. You're now the tables and chairs man. Yeah, so that was my first, that was, yeah, that was my, that was my first job. Yeah. And then so... 
we did that. We were doing all the sort of the infrastructure build, you know, before the event. And then the job was meant to be like you get the you get the weekend off, you know, when the actual festival's on, and you can you know go around and watch the bands and all that. And I said, I don't really fancy that. I said, is there any? Must be some work I can do over the event. Yeah. And they said, oh, we need someone to look after all the backline and the um, you know, all the tour buses and stuff like that. And I said, oh, well, I'll do that then. So the, the, my next job then is is I then became like the the tour the the um tour manager liaison so basically all these bands that were coming in from all over the world for, for the festival bands even big bands like Eminem and Oasis and all these type of people at yeah. the time were playing there so I then got to meet all those sort of um, you know tour managers and bands and stuff like that okay. and I was and then I was I was doing all the backstage so I was, I was basically I became the guy that all these bands when, when they turned up on site it was laws he looked after them so whatever they needed I would look after them from if they broke their foot to you know needed some food or a beer or whatever they needed that was my job and I and I, I then extended it I looked after all the all the stage managers because a lot of them were guys that had never worked on that level when they were coming out of their little venues and stuff like that and they were all a little bit out of their league so I would look after all them and liaise and make sure everybody had the gear everything. but everyone got to like me because I was always so full on energy yeah. and I was always I always looked after people so off the back of that um, I was then offered lots and lots of work doing all sorts of different things from all these different bands because they'd remembered how they were smart. Even bands like, um, you know, the Libertines when they started out, you know, I remember them as young kids and um, they were on the back of my truck and I was giving them a sort of father-son sort of talk about, you know, the music industry and make sure you look after yourselves and all that. And then, you know, they got into drugs years later and, and that was that was heartbreaking seeing that. And um, no, it's also, I mean, it, it, the, the, the live music industry is very much like a big family of gypsies you know we, we none of us are, are normal you know none of us can hold a relationship or live a normal life so we live in fields and we travel around and we do what we do and i've always done that and again it's that it's that whole punk ethic that i got as a kid you know it, it, that's where i fit because i'd you, never be able to work in an office and do anything normal now i've never had a nine to five job in my life you know how long did that go on for then working for the movie fiddler a few years how many years in total was that yeah, about probably five or six years. Yeah, it was until they sold yeah. out to they they sold out to Live Nation in the end. Yeah. I became the the I became the logistics manager of Glastonbury. We got um we got the contract for Glastonbury when uh, the fence had been been knocked down one year and it got on the media. All these kids would run on the field and all that. Yeah. And they said to Michael Evis that you know either you get in a proper team and know how to run a festival or you don't do Glastonbury. Yeah. So they pulled in the mean fiddler. I mean the, the actual bosses of the fiddler are, are, are cutthroat, but the crew, all us lot, were really good at our job. So we got in and we, we sort of structured it all and sorted it all out. And then, little be known to us, what they were doing is they were getting the, the mean fiddler up to a point where it was worth a lot of money, you know, with these really successful events. Um, and then they sold it to Live Nation. Live Nation owned by a massive American yeah. corporation. Yeah. Um, and they just basically got rid of all our, the hippie, you know, punk skinhead sort of crew yeah. and brought in their lot. And so that was it. One day we just didn't get any more work. Yeah. And so from there, that's when I that's when I jumped on and did my own stuff. Did a punk festival, Concrete Jungle. Yeah, we'll have a chat about um, that, wouldn't we? Yeah, like, get yeah. All right, mate. We'll just yeah. uh, at that point, we'll just go into your third track. If you want to introduce your third track before we have a chat about that? That'd be brilliant, mate. Superb. <coughs> oh yeah, the, yep. well, uh, it's been a difficult um, thing to decide. You know, what are your best yeah. five tracks? I just pick some random ones out of the punk era, really, and I think. Going back to the teenage years and, and that sort of wanting to be somebody and become somebody and, and you know, really be part of this, this new revolution that we were all feeling. Um, I mean, Sham 69's Kids United was a song that really got me to shave my head. But the song that really sums up those years is Teenage Warning by um, the Angelic Upstarts. And again,
again, going back to that bit of the politics I spoke about a little bit earlier, and that was in this band. They were the, the they were the leaders, really, in my, uh, that era of, of what we we called then street punk. You know, they were like kids from council estates making music and they really were the leaders there was stiff little fingers in um, northern ireland there was um you know but but this band really had it and i absolutely loved them i i absolutely loved the upstarts right up until their third album england and all that yeah. but the, cho- the, the song i've really chosen to really sum up those years is quite obvious really and it's yeah. teenage warning so Superb, have right. a listen to this excellent mate. we'll have a listen to that cheers Anson, and we'll be back with you soon cheers Thirty-nine minutes here, then, son. All right, mate. Good. Yeah, doing all right there. Doing all right. That's good. Yeah, so I was gonna get onto your concrete jungles and stuff, you know, and, and that'd be good. Yeah. I know, like, um, don't get it wrong. Jeff, the, the radio boss, you know, me and him are looking at uh, sort of yeah. like down this way for a Hemsby holiday camps and all that to do. Uh, yeah. Do, yeah. do an alternative, you know, an alternative, so you can mix yeah. up the genres if you can. You know what I mean? So. Yeah. We'll have a chat about that. You say you're still looking to do something like that up north, are you, some, at some time? Yeah, yeah. I was, I've been offered a charity, a place that's sort off. Of, but again, the guy that sort of put it to me, he's... Um,
brilliant. That's brilliant, mate, so far anyway. You're talking more than me. I'm happy. <laughs> <laughs> I told you I took the eyelids off a donkey, you won't yeah, stop me. <laughs> yeah, that's alright, that's alright, we're getting there. Right, here we go. So welcome back to G-Man's Abbott Sessions on BooBooRadio.net. We've just heard the track Teenage Warner and Angelic Upstarts. Uh, to be honest, that's appeared last week and I played it last week as well. <laughs> but uh, that's the era we're talking about, so all the stuff from 76, 77 onwards. And we're lucky to be in a company of Simon Laws. And he's um, been talking to us all about how he's been getting on and me and Fiddler doing... Uh, outside concerts, etc., and stuff like that. The brilliant Upstarts track here as well. And uh, just before we come off air, it, before that track, he was speaking about Concrete Jungle. So that was a bit of a um, a bit of an eye opener then for you, would you say, Simon, or uh, doing it yourself? How did you feel about that going on? Ah, oh, it was an absolute mental breakdown, to be honest. I'll tell you what happened. I'd, I'd broken up with a mean that They'd sold out to Live Nation, um, yeah. and, and I was sort of without a work. And I bumped into Daryl Smith, who's a guitarist for uh, Coxbower, and he said, well, what have you been up to? And I told him what I'd been up to. I hadn't seen him for a few years. We'd known each other. He was 16 when he joined our local band, The Hoopers. I've known him that long. And he said, oh, why don't you do a punk festival? I said, I don't want to cut punk gigs anymore, you know, because I've been working at The Fiddler, and we did we did a stage called Concrete Jungle. Yeah. And it was, um, there were all these American bands all playing, you know, with their sort of like long shorts and big socks and vests. I can't remember, like Blink 182 and Rancid and all yeah. these type of bands, they were all playing, right? And, uh, and I was running the stage, and I'll never forget, there was a band called Bouncing Souls, and, uh, and I was doing the back line for them, and I noticed on the on the case, of, of uh, on, the, on the guitar case, of, they had a business sticker. And I was going, the business? I said, is that like the English band, the business? And these Yanks are looking at me going, hey, man, what's, what's the problem? I said, well, the business, is that like the skinhead band, the business? They went, yeah, man. You know, I, I said, how do you know about the business? You went, yeah, man, the business, man, they're great. I was going, wow. So I said, right, I'm going to look after you lot. So I, I gave them like the golden you know, red carpet treatment, this band. Yeah. And their roadie guy, he gave me a T-shirt for the band, and he, was, and he started telling me about like how the business had been to America, and this was all going on and I was thinking this is amazing because what I've been thinking when when I'm watching these bands play these American I don't know what they were calling them I suppose they were calling them punk it was like um you know some 41 and um uh, you know them bands there was a whole bunch of yeah, them yeah. I can't remember yeah. my kids loved it or all that sort of stuff but anyway I'm listening to these bands and it was like it was like English punk but it was very it was very produced and I remember thinking, standing on that stage, why aren't the Cockney Rejects standing on that stage? Why aren't the business up there? Why aren't Cox Sparrow? Why aren't, you know, Blitz? Why aren't any of those bands that I loved and grew up with on that stage? Not even bands like The Damned or, or, or The Ruts or no one was playing. It was just these American bands and then these big sort of mainstream British bands and, you know, Eminem and people like that playing, you know. And I thought, God, you know... These kids and all these kids watching it are all these English kids going mental to this American, what they were calling punk. And I was thinking, you know, what's going on? But anyway, when I broke up with them and, and, and found myself for nothing to do, um, Daryl said, oh, you know, why don't you do a punk gig? So I said to him, well, you know, who goes to punk anymore? Because I've not seen any British punks or skinheads for years at that point. And this was sort of 2006, seven, that sort of time. Yeah. Um, so anyway, he said, oh, come with us. So I went out to a couple of Cox Sparrow gigs. I went over to America. I went to Sweden and a few places. And Sweden is what it done for me. I met this beautiful Swedish skinhead girl um, over there. She was absolutely gorgeous, like a, just a dream come true. And, and I went to these a few festivals out in Sweden. And there were the, all the bands playing. There was the Rejects up there, and there was um, um, Derek Morgan playing, doing reggae stuff. There was, um, you know, a lot of these European oi bands. And the thing is, I was looking at them, and I was thinking, 
they all looked the part. They really did. They dressed absolutely spot on. They were doing all the oi thing and all that. And then um, I remember being, being at this festival and uh, some guy threw a bottle over at this tent and these Swedish skinheads are all standing there with their boots and braces on and all that going, yeah, we're, we're going to kick them. And I was going, go on then, go on, go on then. And they're going, yeah, man, we, yeah, we're going to have a fight. We're going to go and do them in a minute and all that. I went, yeah, go on then. Because you know it's like back in the day in the English days. You know, someone threw a bottle at you. That'd be it. There'd be a riot in that campsite. That'd be the end of that. But these Swedish were standing about being skinheads, but not doing anything. And I thought this is amazing. So I couldn't get my head around it because there was no violence anymore. And you know it's like the skinhead scene it was very violent. Yeah. But they had the look. They had beautiful girls. They had all the all the bands playing with no violence. And so I know I thought oh, this has got to be a bit of a fluke. So anyway, we go to a few, we went to some in Germany, we went to some in America, and you know the Yanks are oh yeah man, we you know we are the so and so crew, we're the tough guys and all that. But they were always all talk, 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 and I was thinking this is also very strange. But what was amazing was the fact it was still alive. This was in 2000s, you know. As far as I was concerned, it all died in 1989 when Rave came out. It was dead after that, in in my opinion. Um, but the, it was alive and well in Europe. So anyway, I then Dow said, oh you know why don't you do a festival? So I said yeah, that's a good idea. I said, tell you what we do, we'll book a holiday camp up. So I went down to Pontins and I booked up this holiday camp down in Camper Sands. And mm. I was, again, I was very naive and I've always been very, I've always been a bit stupid in that I, I always think of the good side and the bad, you know. So, yeah, yeah, we'll do that, that'd be great, it'll look it'll be brilliant. And I was just thinking of these European festivals with all these young, you know, hip happening kids all doing their thing with no violence. So anyway, I put this festival on, I booked 60 bands. I had everyone from GBH to Discharge to The Rejects to, you know, Argy Bargy to, you know, all sorts of stuff. Um, Neville Staple, I think, was booked and everybody. But what happened was is Daryl had booked all these bands up sort of verbally over barroom meetings and none of them had ever heard of me. So all of a sudden this, this, this event gets... Um, gets announced and all these bands get oh, what, what do you mean we're playing I've never heard of it I said Dale you told me they were playing oh yeah they have yeah I spoke to them last week they said oh yeah we talked to Dale but there was nothing like confirmed I went oh right so anyway some of these bands start pulling out so that was the early stages of oh shit something's going wrong here mm -hmm. and then what I, where I went really wrong was um me being an old skinhead, I, I get obviously I've announced this. This is the early days of the internet, so I get all these different bands approach me, and they're going, "Oh, can we play? Can we play?" I go, "Yeah, yeah." I'm looking at the thing. Oh, great! I was a skinhead band. Yeah, you can play. Oh, yeah, they're a punk band. Yeah, they can play. I didn't realise I was completely, absolutely, 100% naive to the fact that there was this political shit going on. You know, I, I really thought that was all dead in 1989. You know, I mean, the, the, the leaders of the far right, lot, they were all killed in the, the early 90s. Yeah. I remember, you know, reading about it and hearing about it. I wasn't involved or nothing, but I remember them it all being finished and done. But I thought that was all long gone. But anyway, um, some guy who was an extreme left winger at the time who turned out to be gay and he, he, he had a... I think he ended up having a sex change years later. But um, at the time, he, he hated one of these bands that, um, that I booked. They were called, I can't even remember their name now, uh, Retaliator, a band called Retaliator. Now, I'd never heard their music, nothing, but he hated them big time. So he went on this massive campaign to destroy the festival. Um, so I didn't know, and of course, nobody knew me. So uh, as far as anyone was aware, I, it was a neo-Nazi putting on, a, on an event. So I'm, I'm going, what, what the fuck's going on? You know, what, what, I'm not, you know, I'm not, you know, I, I work with, been, you know, I've been all around the world since then. Those days are long gone. I've been to India. I've lived in, you know, like communes and I've been to, you know, I've, I've, I've been all spiritual. I've been on narrowboat and, you know, it's a roadie with all the scar bands and stuff. I'm nothing to do with politics, you know. But anyway, I've had to sort of try and um, battle this off. But basically, 
the the event it was 90 grand to put that event on um all the bands charged me absolute maximum because because they were they thought oh he's a new guy it's a festival he's got loads of money they charged me maximum i didn't realize i know now what a lot of those bands get paid but at the time i didn't mm-hmm. and i was expecting you know to get get the numbers but basically this guy it, it, it was mainly him. Um, he just wiped the festival out, and people just did not come. The fest, the, I, had a, I had the tickets on sale through some website. They pulled it. Um, I, I was in too deep because I paid ten thousand pound a month deposit um, for the holiday camp. So I was in too deep. I had to, I had, had to go ahead. I had people coming from America and Israel and all over to play it to come and watch it. Um, and I had a complete and utter mental breakdown. Over it. I lost my girlfriend, lost everything I owned, lost my money. Um, I had to remortgage my home, everything to cover it. Um, I was devastated. I was destroyed completely, mentally, physically financially completely ruined but the only thing that saved me was was um polystyrene came and she came as a guest of john rob and um and, and i met her and um she said oh how are you and i and, like i just was almost like it was almost in tears i was i was shaking i went oh, yeah, i yeah I, I just I, I just you know she said look come and see me on monday after this come and see me and uh you can come and I'll I'll help you and all that. So anyway, I went. I I, I somehow I, I'm not normally like this, but I did get in touch with her, and me and Polly became really close friends. And she took me to some of her Harry Krishna stuff. I mean, I'm not Harry Krishna. I don't believe in religion, but she took me there and we went to these vegan places. And she was a really lovely woman, and she really sort of helped me out mentally um, to sort of pull myself back together again because she had severe bipolar. Um, but financially, I was ruined. So she said to me, "Look, why don't we do an X-ray spec ski?" I said I'd love to, you know, and and um and then like people, oh you can't do that. There's only five hundred, only twenty people will come. You know, book the hundred club and all that. I said no, if we're going to do it, we've got to do it big. It's either that or nothing. It's all or nothing now because I've got nothing left to lose. So it's got to be all, right? So I we walked around. I didn't want to do anything with me um, with Live Nation because they they'd let me down a couple of years before. Um, you know, I was I was quite bitter in many ways. I'd lost all all that festival and all that. So. I said, look, the only place I'd be happy to do would be the Roundhouse in London because it was part of the Strummer appeal. They were helping um, deprived young musicians at the time. Um, it wasn't corporate. I said, let's do that. And we got a load of abuse. All these punks, oh, that's not how it's corporate. It's a Roundhouse. I said, no, it's all got to be here. This is one of the only bands in the world that I would have personally gone and paid money to go and see because I've worked with so many bands in the past, but X-Ray Specs I never saw back in the day. And I absolutely always loved them. Where did you actually first um, meet, and up, I were, meet up with Polly then? Where, where else did you first meet her? Was she just turned up at that gig she, as a guest? Did she? Yeah. She, yeah, she came to she came to Concrete Jungle as a as a guest of John Robb. John yeah. Robb had a band called Goldblade at the time, yeah, yeah, and he was helping yeah, yeah. me do do little bits and stuff. He's a journalist. Yeah. He turned up with her and he introduced me to her. So that was how I met okay. her, literally just just that day, you yeah. know. And we became instant friends. Yeah. Superb. Right. On that so, point, um, so would you like to introduce your fourth track? Now you just mentioned that lady, anyway. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Do you want to introduce well, I mean, yeah. on, I'll, I'll, I'll introduce this because I think this, you know, of all the highs and lows and ups and downs of of my life, it's got to have been the most down because I'd lost all that money and, and my mental health and everything was destroyed. But I remember we set up the first rehearsal and I dug a few of my mates up who were different musicians and um, we booked up a rehearsal room down in uh, Waterloo by the railway station. And um, I remember going there and I said, look, you go away and, you know, you rehearse. I'll go and have a, have a coffee and I'll come back in a couple of hours um, and see how you get on because I didn't want to be sitting in there, you know, directing them or anything like that. So I, I went away, came back in and I walked in this room. As you've got to think, this room is about, you know, 
10 by 10 feet. It was tiny. It was just about enough room for a drum kit and a couple of people to stand around it. And she stood there, literally three foot away from me, looked in my face and sung the song Germ Free Adolescence to me. And I completely melted my whole, like, you know, when they, you know, your hair stand up on your neck and back. And it was just the most amazing experience I think I've ever had musically because she sang it directly to me in perfect tune. And, and then she said, oh, and with a big smile, she said, oh, what do you think of that? I said, oh, yeah, come on, we'll be here, so you'll be fine. <laughs> I mean, oh, yeah. and, um, and, and, and we went out, we went on, and we sold out around us. We sold 3,000 tickets, and, and we, I don't know how we did it. I had no money for, not even for a poster. I couldn't afford posters, you know, but somehow we, we sold it out. And, yeah, so this song really is, is the lowest and the highest, you know, of my, of my, of my world. So, yeah, play that, Jeremy Adolescence. <laughs>
welcome back to G-Man's Abbott Sessions on www.bootboyradio.net. We're just listening to one of the tracks that um, Mr. Simon Laws has had for his day's fourth track of his Fave 5 of the, of the era, and that was an X-Ray Specs track, Germ-Free Adolescence, from way back when he said he'd come across polystyrene and uh, had a bit of an emotional time with her. And he's at last, he, he got her at around this and sold out, what, 3,000 capacity? Was that, Simon, that was 3,000 capacity yeah. there, wasn't it? So, um... Just yeah, look at, just looking yeah, at, yeah, so just looking at the concrete jungle in, um, what would you have done anything differently about, how would you go about that in the end then, how would you go on to, you know, if you knew about what was going on and uh, before you had that sort of like, all that problems going on, what would you, is there any way, any, you're doing the hindsight really, do you know what I mean? Well, I, I think what I did was um, when when um, when Polly died. I mean, it was really terrible. I, I, she had really really severe bipolar, and um, she always said to me, you know, if I get if I get too much, I'll just check myself in a hospital. So um, she'd been approached by this this label, um, and they wanted to do stuff with her. And she told me she just did not want to play live. She was she just didn't like doing it. She didn't enjoy it. Her voice. She just didn't want to do it. Anyway, this this label started pressurising her a lot. And she said to me one day, "Oh, can you go up and speak to this label and tell them that you know what's going on?" So I went up there, and they were just trying to attack me for my my database of of people and this and that and who did I know and what did I know and all that. And I asked him. I said, look, you know, she's not going to do this. Oh, we've got this producer and we've got that musician. And I said, look, she won't do it. The reason she did the roundhouse, I told him the story. I said it was because she was helping me out and we are friends. We're not about money. We're not about careers. Polly had all that. She doesn't want it, right? So anyway, they just basically sacked me off saying, oh, he's a fly boy, you know, white boy. You know, what has he got to do with anything? So anyway, a month or two later, Polly gives me a call and says, I've got cancer. And I said, no, you're joking. She went, oh, yeah, yeah. And I said, are you going to have an operation? She went, oh, no, nothing like that. I'm, I'm in a hospice. I'm fine. And, uh, and then she starts going on about her mortgage and all the normal things. And I thought she was just pulling a sickie. It sounds really awful, doesn't it? But I thought she was pulling a sickie. I was going to South America the next day. So I was over, I went to South America. I'd met a girl from Argentina. And, and we were over there. And um, I, so, of course, I was seeing none of the media or anything where she actually did have cancer. She was still texting me every day about her mortgage and about what we're going to do and how we're going to do this and do that. Because she had this bipolar. One day she'd be as high as a kite with what we're going to do. And the next day she'd be down to nothing and we're going to work in Tesco's, you know. Mm-hmm. So anyway, I get back to England after a couple of months and um, I phone her from the airport. And uh, she said, oh, yeah, I'm fine. I'm fine. I said, look, I'm going to go and see my kids. And then when, I, when I've seen them, I'll come and see you tomorrow. That night, I got an email saying she died from a girl in America. I mean, I was absolutely shocked. I phoned her phone. It still rang. There was battery on the phone. Um, she didn't answer it. So I phoned her mum. And the mum said, yeah, I'm sorry, Simon. She died two hours ago. And I was absolutely fucking devastated. that I had not gone and said goodbye. I hadn't taken it seriously. I mean, all her family said, don't worry. She loved you to death. And she didn't want you to see her in the state she was in anyway. She like, you know, you remember how she was. And I, I just felt devastated. But... At the same time, one of my friends from Wickham, I'd gone back to Wickham, and my mate, um, my kids had a band at that time called Mind of a Lion, and they were doing a little gig in, in one of the old punk venues, actually. And um, I'm parking the car up behind the venue, and there's a girl in the street screaming. So I jumped out of the car, and behind her was a house on fire. She went, oh, the house on fire. So I ran into this house, and I pulled these people out. Um, it wasn't like flames. It was just loads and loads of smoke. So I pulled these people out without even really thinking about it. And as I'm doing it, Someone came up behind me and said, I recognise that voice. And I looked round, and it was one of my old skinhead mates, a guy called Craig. And, um, uh, and he went, oh, you know, he said, that's a, you, know, you know what this, this is? That's a junkie house. I said, you're joking? He said, yeah, and I've got to be honest with you. He said, so I'm a junkie, and that's why I'm here. 
I went, you're choking. He went, and he told me how he'd been in the army and his mate had been shot and killed him with him and he died, literally died in his arms. So instead of getting proper counselling, he left the army and got himself on at drugs. But Craig was one of the younger skinheads of our mob and um, I loved him to death. He was one of those really naive guys, this sort of guy, if he said, look, Craig, put your trousers down and jump off the pier, he'd do it. You know, oh yeah, I'll do that, I'll do that. He's that type of guy. And anyway, I, um, I uh, on that same trip where I'd gone to South America, so I'd, I'd literally seen him the day before I was going. So Polly was in hospital with um, cancer. Craig was begging me for his help. My brother at the time was counselling soldiers coming back from the Gulf. And I said, look, when I get back, you come down and see my brother. He knew my brother anyway. And um, we'll sort you out. And he was all in tears. I said, Craig, don't worry. I took him on my kid's gig and all that. Anyway, when I'm in South America, I got an email again to say he died. He'd OD'd and died. So that was it. That was the final straw for me. I said, right, I'm putting a skinhead reunion on. I'm going to get all the old skinheads together because I can't sit by. I can't sit by and see my old friends, you know, horror stories of dying of drug overdoses and stuff and this broken people. We've got to get together. I've had a good life. I've been, I've done some amazing things. I've traveled the world. I've seen fun. I've had brilliant times. I've had good, gorgeous girlfriends. I've done a lot of amazing things. A lot of my friends are still living in bedsits doing heroin. You know, yeah. I've got to help these people because no one else is going to. Skinheads were hated by the media. We were the bad boys. We they were to jail us. They didn't want to help us. So I decided I'm going to do a skinhead reunion. So I booked up the venue on Brighton Beach because I was living in Brighton at the time and I booked up the, the bar where they had Quadrophenia. It's just a little bar. It was 300 people. I said, I'm going to put it in there. It's free. I put it on the internet. I said, right, anybody who wants to come can come. And I'm not going to put any money into it because I haven't got any and, and this is free. It's a party. It's an afternoon. So anyway, I put the word out there. Um, a bunch of skinheads got in touch from all over. There was one skinhead guy got in touch with me. He was living, I think, in Ireland at the time. And he said, oh, I've been doing this skinhead thing up in London and I'm not going to do it anymore because I'm not feeling very well. And could we, you know, do you want to take that over? I said, well, I'm going to do one in Brighton. So just, just tell them they can come. So, of course, the first year happened and about 150 skinheads turned up. A lot of the old London lot, a um, couple of guys got in touch, said, oh, can we DJ? Another guy got in touch, oh, we got a band, can we play? And so we had a couple of bands, we had a couple of DJs and um, it was all free. Anybody who wants to come is welcome to come. Um, we had a couple, of, one or two caused a bit of trouble and all that. But, it was one of those things, again, I saw this same thing with Concrete Jungle. All of a sudden, I started seeing this political thing arriving, people turning up with um, the old Blood and Honor T-shirts and stuff like that. And I said, look, mate, you're welcome to come, but please, none of that. That is long gone. This is not about that at all. This is about my friend Craig who died, who was in the army, right? This is about all my friends that are broken around this country and all your friends and all their friends. This is about being together, not about hating or dividing. This is about all of us together. Did so I held the Skinhead reunion. The, the yeah. next year, Roy, Roy Ellis got in touch and wanted to play. Um, so I said, right, we've all got to chuck a tenor in and um, we'll get Roy Ellis over to play. You know, he's, he's from um, Simmerip yeah. and he's going to do that. So, so we got him over, all the Tilbury lot were coming down and all that. And then, of course, that's when I started seeing this sort of rise of this, again, this political antagonism. I started getting all these left-wingers online, oh, you're, you're doing this for Nazis, and then the Nazis go, you're doing this for the lefties. And I'm going, no, I'm not doing it for either of you fucking idiots. Did you, um, I'm doing this did you, for the... You know... Did you actually get a lot of and, charity on board at all at that time, then? Uh, the no, 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 there was no charities involved. Yeah. It was purely me doing it for my friends. There was no charities, there was nothing. It was literally... Let's get together. There was no one getting paid. Uh, you know, we paid Roy Ellis because he, you know, he needed his expenses and that. But I, I, I remember one year, 
I the first time I ever made any profit out of the Skinhead reunion, which was after about four or five years, by ten o'clock on a Saturday night, I made one hundred and forty-seven quid. <laughs> and that, and I said to my wife at the time, I said, "Right, we've got one hundred and forty-seven quid. Where can we go for that?" <laughs> and I think we booked a, like a Ryanair somewhere. <laughs> and that was my celeb after four years of the Skinhead reunion, you know. But, but the the thing I'd learned from doing Concrete Jungle was that. They were hating me and they were destroying it because I was anonymous and they didn't know who I was. So when I did the Skinhead reunion, I said, right, this is who I am. This is who I am. This is my name. Simon Laws, this is my internet. This is who I am. Here's photographs of me growing up. This is my history. This is who I am. I'm not National Front so-and-so or communist this or red action that. I'm me. I'm a guy from High Wycombe, from a council estate in Wycombe, who grew up in a very multicultural society. He's an athlete that's been a skinhead forever. I've done my bit. I'm a punk at heart. You know, uh, you know, I'm a traveller. I'm a person. So I've done it like that. And, I, and then I started publishing a lot of the old photographs, which luckily my friend Gavin had taken. He had severe um, dyslexia as a kid, so he took all these photographs of us growing up. So unlike a lot of other skinheads, I had proof of who I was and who I am, you know? Yeah. And I was well known. I was, my pictures were known. I wasn't known as a person, but my pictures were known. So over the years, they've not been able to label me with all this stuff because there's the proof. There's the proof of me, you know, with Brian Lewis and with Raymond and all the rest of them and all my, all my black mates. There's, there's me with all my skinhead mates. There's me with all my punk mates. You know, it's all there. It's all, it's all proven, you know? So they couldn't nail me on it. So what I've had ever since is... I've had this onslaught of hate, which has come from, you know, what shocked me more, I think, than anything was the actual skinheads themselves that turned their hate on me. And it was like, look, I'm here to help you. I'm not here for you to hate me. I'm here to give you something. I'm here to give you a smile and to meet other like-minded people. I'm here to celebrate your subculture and, and bring us together and take this into the 21st century, you know? And, you know, I mean, one year they set up this um, this anti-refugee march because I'd fucked a few of these um, bullies off of an internet site and they set up an anti-refugee march. We found out who they were and said, look, you come to Brighton, you'll be going home with no kneecaps. And so they didn't come, but but the left-wingers did. We had 200 of these anti-files all marching about. And again, you know, uh, you know, I had the media, I had the BBC cameras all in my face and everything. And I funded it. I, I said, no, I'm going to I'm going to fund this. I said to everybody, you stay over there behind your barrel. I'm going to go and speak to this lot. So there's all these lefties all marching around with their, they had all black masks on and banners and batons and God knows what. And I walked over and I said, look, I said, you got me on my own. Right, here I am. If you want to kill somebody, kill me. Right, I'm number one. I put this together. You want to kill somebody, kill me. And I said, if you want to kill me, then you at least need to know the reason why you're standing there. And I told them why they were standing. I said, you are being manipulated, right? Look around you. It's full of media. There was Caroline Lucas from the Green Party. They're all marching around. I said, look what they are doing. They want me to punch you, right? That's what they want me to do. And I am fully aware of that. So what I did is I put my arm over this this main guy. The, 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 he, was, he was actually all right. Once he broke down his sort of like aggression and that, he's actually quite intelligent. I said, look, mate, put my arm over his shoulder. He was, only, he was on my, my son's age. He was a kid. I put my arm over his shoulder and I said, listen, mate, run along. I said, because you are going to get yourself in that big trouble, right? I said, you're welcome to come to the reunion. You're welcome to see what's going on over there. There's reggae music playing, right? It's free, right? We're in Brighton, which is a gay town. This is not, you know, not some political rally. Oh, you've got to put this. I said, no, no, I'm not putting any anti this or anti that anywhere near it. It's not political. I've told all them that and I'm telling you that. It is not political, right? So 
you know, I lost a load of numbers on that because a lot of the skinheads who were watching it, one of one, some of them had been threatened walking around town, so that scared them, and the other lot were going, well, you know, he's a fucking lefty hugger. No, I wasn't a lefty hugger. I was defending our subculture, and and, and some of the guys who actually saw it, you know, congratulated me, but they they were all a bit scared of the other lot, so it caused a lot of antagonism. But I think the lessons I learned through Concrete Jungle and and allowing that left winger guy to destroy the event. With the skinhead reunion, I've refused to let them destroy it. And I don't care who they are. You know, these are people that a lot of them have, have invented a history that they come from somewhere. Well, I never knew them. And I was at lots of these gigs back in the day. I knew many people. And all these people who've appeared on the internet as the so-and-so expert from Harlow. Well, mate, I never knew you back in the day. And I still don't know you. I've still never met you. But you're still giving me threats. You're still telling people not to come. You're still telling people. And then I have all these other lot turn up, you know, and they... um. They see what's going on. Oh, this is great. I really like this. So they go and book one the same weekend somewhere else. Yeah, and it's like, look, mate, this, you know, this is about the subculture. Why are you doing it on the same weekend? Yeah. When there's only, what, a thousand of us in the entire country. Why are you booking events? Oh, well, you know, because uh, they're trying to knock me off. Because they think if they knock me off, they'll they'll get it. But what it does, it just halves it for everybody. Course, yeah, we've got course. one, we've got a couple this year. We, we've got a couple this year, these different events that have been set up the same day. And I've spoken to the guys putting them on. And one of the guys, I, I've even booked him at the reunion a couple of times. I said, mate, why don't you do it a following week? Give me two and a half grand and then... Um, and then I will. I went, no, I'm not going to give you two and a half grand. So he's going to do the gig. So he's going to have half a crowd. I'm going to have, you know, probably a 10% loss. You know, for what? Do it a week later. It'll be fine. I could even promote him. Do you know what I mean? And this is what I've had to come up against all the time, all the time, all the time, constantly, you know? There's plenty of weeks in the year, mate. They can move it if they can. I try try to move shows. I know. They clash with everything. That's the trouble, you know? It's really, really hard, like, you know what I mean? But, um, but the thing is in the thing is in Brighton is you can't change the thing is in Brighton with the reunions I can't change it because I do it on Madeira Drive which is basically a tourist um, it's a, it's an event area and basically I have to put in I have to put in um, in uh, um, applications you know for for licensing to do it once a year I also have to pay again because of that March thing they set up in 2016 I have to pay five grand a year for this response unit um insurance and you know all that type of stuff which they won't allow me to do it without it so again you know so that's why it never really makes any money because that takes up the big chunk of the money and then um you know the bands get paid a bit and all the backline higher and all that stuff so it never really makes any money but being the guy that i am i just refuse to surrender i will never surrender and that's it even if there's 10 people there i will not surrender we did it through lockdown we did we've done it every year because for all those haters which which are really small in numbers they make a lot of noise but they're very small in numbers for all those haters the people that love it i get people that come over terminal cancer i've had people meet there and get married and have children and all sorts you know so it's always been a positive thing really more than a negative and that's why i keep it going you know to be honest i'm going to say some people can't can't get their head around it you don't that one side and one and the other side can't get head around that you don't want anything you're in the middle of it all do you know what i mean it's just the middle i won't have none of it i won't have none of it because the thing is they um it's the same with the the thing is the same with a lot of things that we're doing as well like you know what i mean so i know where you're coming from yeah yeah yeah, I mean, it, it's it's manipulation, right? Yeah. And people jumped into this scene at a certain time, and they thought that's what you're meant to be because they'd read it in the paper. Course, yeah, course, they yeah. didn't come. They didn't come from the real background. They didn't. Grow, I mean, when I grew up, it was it was very multiracial. So I remember, you know, like the first Skinhead pub we ever had. The only reason it was our pub is because it was the only one they'd let us in, and we were all underage, and we all started drinking in there. And in town, there was another pub, which was the Rasta pub. 
and um, they used to sell weed and everything out of the Rasta pub. So when the police closed that pub down and they literally knocked the pub down, the Rastas had nowhere to go. So the only other place they could go, which would let them in, was, was our pub, which was a Skinhead Punk pub. So the black um, reggae sound system came into our pub. So that was when I very first started learning about ska music, about early ragga and all that stuff was, was from them. And they were playing things like Yellow Man and, uh, you know, all that type of stuff. Um, and so, you know, that was where I came from. So those black kids were on the same estate as me. They were in the, like, reggae, rasta stuff. We were in the punk and oi and, and, and all that. And then when two-tone came along, yeah, it, yeah. It, it, blend, it blended that together. Yeah, and that was the energy. Yeah, and, and, and it was like, that. you know, where, where madness appeared on yeah. top of the pops. You know, the specials were there a week before, which was brilliant. Yeah. But when madness appeared on top of the pops, they were us they were us that was what i was wearing at the time that was a haircut i had that was boots i was wearing those guys were from councillor stage you gotta think punk and all the other stuff before then it all been like manufactured from major labels and all the rest of it two two tone was real that was the kids on our estate that was the black kids of coventry they were exactly the same as the black kids from micklefield estate in wickham those skinheads singing on that microphone were exactly the same as me and my mates you know so they were us it was all diy then you know it was all diy it was all diy and two tone really really i mean if there was a i mean i didn't understand i didn't really understand the politics of it at the time you know what two tone black and white men i i I didn't even think about that all i saw was was brilliant music with guys that looked like us singing great songs and so that's what i loved and so two-tone absolutely just overwhelmed me it was a fantastic you know brilliant Brilliant. Well, at that point mate you can introduce your last track because you've nailed that properly yeah yeah exactly and basically two-tone i mean it was basically it was formed up in coventry it was um jerry um jerry dammers had this idea of um of, of, of making this ska music with a sort of punk blend and um it was right time, right place. It really hit us absolutely 100% on the head when we're, where we were. It was That was us. That was Council Estate music to the real core. Sham 69 had sort of sung about, you know, Council Estates, but they lived in nice little middle-class areas. I mean, Dave Parsons is very wealthy, and, and we knew that, you know. Um, perhaps the, you know, the, I mean, the oi stuff came later, but, but with, with two-tone, it was real. That was us. And the thing is, now, when you look back... Um, it, you know, now it doesn't mean anything. A black kid and a white kid singing together in a band—it means nothing. But then, that was a major, major thing. That was a massive, massive movement in changing in in, in things. You know, so Two Tone was it. And I think with Madness, they they became the most successful of the Two Tone bands. Um, I think because they they managed to—they're brilliant songwriters for one thing—and they stayed very, very close friends. Whereas a lot of the other bands, a lot of the other bands, they crosses crosses over to pop as well do you know what I mean to be honest I saw like the specials in 78 and the energy between their sort of stuff and whatever do you know what I mean which is brilliant like you know what I mean and two-tone and madness just changed the whole perception of it all didn't it really which is good you know oh absolutely absolutely I mean the songs were were, they were political but they were not extreme politics you know they were they were real life you know Concrete Jungle by um, the specials and um, you know the specials were probably more more political than what madness were but, but madness you know wrote songs about their friends and about London life and that's and although you know i wasn't actually in central london we were 30 miles away it was 40 minutes into central london so we used to go up there all the time you know every saturday i was in london i I grew up on the streets of london all my family in north london you know that's 
that with my mum and Gavin, his, his granddad and uncles and all that, lived up in Kilburn and uh, in the Irish areas. And so mm. that was where I spent most of my childhood years. You know, we used to bunk the train and, and go right. up there and skive off school. And, and that was all part of it, you know. So, um, Excellent, mate. Yeah, yeah, madness. Do you want to introduce that track? And, and, and track, your last Yeah, track. I will do. <laughs> I, I will. I will. I'll waffle on forever. But go I on, think mate. with madness, I've got to say, I've got to say with madness, with um, it's not only their music. I became good friends of theirs in the Rodian days when I when my kids were little I was roadieing for a band called Crunch you were an offshoot of Madness Lee Thompson and Chris Chrissy Boy uh, it was their band and I was their roadie and so I went all around Europe with them and we became very 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 close friends and I think they have kept me they have never left their friends. They've never stopped supporting their friends. Ever since, all, all, for all the success they've had, I saw Chrissy two days ago at a gig in Brian. He came down and we went, and some of our old mates were playing in Potato Five, and we went down. And, and, and when I was doing Concrete Jungle and I had that breakdown, Chrissy Boy was the first person to ring up and say, "You know, Lawsy, you all right? You need some money?" And I, I refused to take any money off of him, but he, he took me out, you know, to the pub and we had a couple of beers and, and all that. And I looked after him when he, he was going through a hard time in divorces. And so we're we're very very close friends. And I think, um, you know, even even in later years, when I've when I've tried to sort of get these young bands that I've discovered through the Skinhead reunion, like little scar bands and that, and I've tried to promote them and do anything. You know, Chrissy gave one of these bands a, a, a major support for them. You know, he'd never even heard them. It was it was purely because they, they were my band. Put them on there, you know, and that got them going. We got them all around Europe, you know. So he, Madness, are as true today as they were when I met them. And, and that's been th over 30 years ago, you know, we've stayed very close friends. So of all their tunes, this song I've chose, could have chosen anyone, but this one is called um, Not Home Today. And, it, and it, it, it it rings a lot of bells for me because the actual song is about one of the tough guys, one of the Camden skins had gone up to um, Ali Pally and he was a bit of a tough guy. There'd been a fight, someone got stabbed and died. And this guy um, boasted that he was the one who'd done it, whether he had done it or not no one ever knows they don't think he actually did a lot of them a lot of his mates don't think he did it but he boasted that he had so he got nicked for it and banged up for it and he killed himself in jail um and it's called not home today and basically it also rings a bell so much with some of so many of my friends that i've lost along the way a lot of the nutters a lot of the violent skinheads back in the day who were the tough guys and you know turn that sort of outward abuse into self-abuse and died and so this song really sums up all that time really throughout the whole madness era two-tone my friends i've lost um and we put, i played it last year at the reunion because um there was a guy that got in touch really wanted to play the uh, come to the reunion and he had cancer and um just just before the event i get an email saying can we have a refund and i said what's up and it was the wife and he died of cancer and um and i made a little video tour i never met this guy um i said but you know, and I played the song "Not Home Today" for him, and so it, it just, it just, it brings us to where we are now, really. You know, and we've got to look after who's there now, look after who's still left, and bond and get together and enjoy what we've got left of this life. You know, so play this song "Not Home Today." Okay, mate, we're on it now. We're listening. Cheers, mate. We'll be back in a bit. It's the last song. It's the last song. <laughs>
track of Mr. Simon Law's um, five, 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 five tracks, I should say, from the era, 76 onwards. We got through from the early extroverts all the way through, bit of foreskins, bit of upstarts, and we finally got to a madness track, which is pretty, you know, dear to his heart, as it, and he played it last time at the Skinhead reunion, as he's just said about it as well. So we've had, um, you know, it gives plenty to think about, plenty of thoughts and uh, re reflections and words from back in the day as well. And um, you know how he's got involved in festivals and what he's doing at the moment. So, welcome back, and Simmons. So we're in the last sort of like five or ten minutes really of this interview this afternoon on G-Man's Abbott Season. So, really, what do you think the future holds for yourself? What you got lined up, mate? And um, after that, if you could say a few goodbyes, that'd be brilliant, mate. Appreciate that. Cheers. Well, I mean, where I'm at now, uh, a couple of years ago, um, Monty Naismith got in touch with me, wanted me to manage him. He was the original um, writer and co-founder member of. Um, Pyramid Simmerip. Um, so I've been I've been looking after them the last couple of years. We've done um, we've done we've done quite a lot of festivals. Last summer we did all the Stone Valley festivals and various different star festivals around the country, which were really good. Um, I've just just um, got a Ukrainian girl come over um, that I've sponsored. Who's a singer? She had a, a band called um, Kiev All Girl Scar Orchestra. She doesn't really want to do scar so much. She wants to do sort of some other stuff. But I'm I'm getting her with a, a producer this week, and we're going to start formulating and working on some songs. Um, I've got a girl called Amazia who um, used to be the front for um, Maroon Town. She's a brilliant, brilliant uh, Jamaican reggae singer. Um, so I'm doing some stuff with her. I've got um, her booked up at Skarmouth next year, and she'll probably be doing the Skinhead reunion as well. Um, so that's all my sort of projects at the moment. I've, I've been offered a, a, a camp, uh, like a holiday camp thing up north. Um, which is a charity thing, which is up in the air, still was up in North Wales. So that may or may not happen. But obviously, because of the um, 
this recession that we've got is very, very worrying for anybody to put money into anything because, you know, shows are expensive. You know, people just sort of think, oh, it's 20 quid for a ticket. You know, how come he's, he's getting all this money? So, well, you think about it. You've got all the back line, you've got the insurances, the security, the the, the technicals, the wages, the, everything. And that's without the band's fees and all the rest of it. So it's very, very difficult putting shows on. And the problem I've got at the moment is people constantly knocking uh, the events I do, stopping people coming, putting clashing events on, that sort of stuff. So I'm having to, although I've worked all through this, I've been roguing a lot and working for wages as much as I can. Um, it's a difficult time for everybody, so I'm going to concentrate. The Skinhead reunion's happening on the first weekend of June, which is um, the 2nd to the 4th of June on Brighton Beach. You can get a ticket at Subcults, S-U-B-C-U-L-T-Z.com. Um, there's going to be a massive, good selection of bands. From We've got bands coming from Japan, from USA. We've got British bands, old, young. I think even you're going to be playing, Glenn, with your uh, band. I think it's close. If you're late, it's Yeah, yeah. So, so we're going to... Um, you know we're gonna we're gonna keep going and we're gonna keep fighting and i'm selling tickets people coming from all over the world and um we've got scados reforming we've got um criminal damage from brighton and old oil band from 82 they're reforming um we have got the splodginess of bounds are playing with two two packets of you know two pints of lager and a packet crisps they're playing um so we get really good fun got some brilliant djs that are all gone got two venues some of the boot boy radio djs they run the uh they run the dj inside of things so uh mick and wendy they're our main two moldy um and so we've got really really good stuff going on so this is our i think our 12th year of the skinhead reunion it's been up and down but everybody and like i've said in this conversation everybody is welcome to the skinhead reunion but you leave your bullshit where you want to leave it and that is not in our front room you know um and you come and you enjoy it and you have some fun so that's the future for now Brilliant. brilliant. If I'm Keep still going. going next year. <laughs> oh, brilliant, mate. Super. Well, I hope you'll keep healthy, mate, uh, doing all that work. And um, you like to say a couple of good boy, good boys to some important people, you you know. Um, yeah, I mean, man. you know, I'm, I... Get off! So this will be a new feature. If you can hear that music, you'll know that it's a new, it's a new feature coming up on the G-Man's Avid Sessions on Boot Boy Radio. And we'll be sort of telling you about a gig. Hopefully it's happening in the forthcoming week or whatever, on a Saturday, Friday night or a Sunday, that weekend after. And hopefully you can get out there, see a bit of scar, see a bit of punk, see a bit of oil, whatever. And hopefully you'll get out and enjoy a night out as well. And um, that may be local to you, no, it may not, but hopefully we can give a shout out to a gig that's happening anywhere where people may be able to come down and at least get out and play as much as we can. Anyway. So once you hear this music, I would say get up, get out, get off your ass, and hopefully you get some support live scene because I think everybody needs support now as much as possible. And we get out to a live gig and hopefully you enjoy that as well. So hopefully we can sort of listen to the pretty regular on G Man's Abbott Sessions on Boo Boo Radio. We'll be shouting out as many gigs. So there you go, this week's Get Up feature, and we're, um, oh, that's still bad, that little one. I hope you enjoyed the reflections from Mr. Simon Laws and the Great British, um, the Great Skinny Reunion and his various other guys as he's under. And I hope you enjoyed that anyway, and listen to his top five as well anyway, talking about things that happened and went back from 76 onwards anyway. And uh, this week's gig is at New Cross Inn on Friday the 30th of December, a day before New Year's Eve. And um, it's 
Peter and Tess do babies playing with sick on the bus, load and a couple of us. Doors are at six, I think that's about 10 quid to get in as well. So I hope you can get there loud and clear anyway. And just while I'm on, I've had a new album come through this week. A man himself, an Alsatian from Hung Light and Ratty. And he's sent an album through of his Going Nowhere, a new album that's going to come out on Randall Records and through their own merch store as well. Uh, online if you want to get it on his website. And we're going to play a track for him now anyway. And then straight in the test tubes as well because time's getting short anyway. This is a track which is called... Um, uh, I remember being fat, I think. What's this one they've got? Called? I've got it in front of me. Look. The Joys of Getting Old. Sorry, it's the opening track for the album, Going Nowhere. Great track. Yes. Enjoy a bit of New Hung Light and Ray.
classic test tubes there. Like I say, gig on Friday the 30th of December. That's the get out feature this week. And like I say, hope you've got, I picked up a few dodgy lead, what leads. Hopefully I might be able to get one over Christmas. Anyway, someone might buy that for a present for me, might you? You know what I mean? But you're living listening to G-Man's Avid Sessions this Sunday afternoon, www.bootboyradio.net, Sunday the 18th of December. Last show of this year as well. So hopefully you listened and enjoyed his reflections and words, Mr. Simon Laws, earlier. And obviously, like, getting to the end of the, you know, we've got to play an absolute classic, you know what I mean? And this is from way back. And uh, it's off the Razors and Night old man, EP anyway. This is Razors and Night by the Blitz. And all I can say is, hope you have a good Christmas. Hope you have a good New Year. Catch us in the New Year on G-Man's Habit Sessions, Sunday afternoons, 1 to 3, once again in the New Year. And see you soon. And as always, keep the faith. supposed to blow the bleeding doors off you've just blown the roof off as well you've been listening to g-man's avid show on boot boy radio keep the faith So we'd just like to say thank you for joining us this afternoon on Boot Boy Radio for G-Man's Avid Sessions. Hope you've enjoyed the tracks. And we'd just like to say finally, hope you can catch us next week and at the same time, same place, one till three, Sunday on Boot Boy Radio. In the meantime, have a good week and keep the faith. Cheers to all. <laughs>